He's going to be right there trying to hinder you, trying to stop you, trying to defeat you. But be of good cheer and trust in the Lord. And allow Him to continue to just mold and shape you in a very special way. And He'll do that. He'll do that if you're alive. And our God is so good. Well, I'm going to get ready to start into a very, very rough little area. Um, this area of divorce. Um, it's oftentimes one of those areas that, boy, the church jumps into. And, and I think historically... Church meant well, but maybe we've done the wrong thing. Because our goal was to hold up a high principle of God or law of God about marriage. And in doing so, we may have hurt many people in between. And yet, we are to hold up God's standard. But one thing I was reading, and it really began to cause me to have to wrestle with some things. And the author simply says, whenever God's word causes one to do evil, God tolerates than a lesser evil. And boy, he went on, he said, God's law of word is never with the intention to hurt. To hurt. And boy, begin to wrestle with that. Because God's intention is never to hurt, but to build up his people. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would just guide us and minister to us. As we venture into the woods of this area, Lord, that sometimes is not totally clear, we're praying, Father, that you would give us clarity of heart and of mind. And we know, Lord, there are many who have written on this topic. Uh, But what we're looking for, Lord, is your word to speak to us. And Father, we thank you for the thoughts of others, the expressions of others. But now, Lord, we come to really hear from you, to be challenged by you. And Lord, may you speak to our hearts, because Lord, we all know someone who has experienced this thing called divorce. And I pray, Father, that people will find healing in the aftermath of it. And that they can be a people, O God, who are truly restored to your service. And not left out. And we pray, Father, that you would do a great work amongst them. Amongst all of us. That, Lord, that we might be able 
to be the servants of God in a manner which is pleasing unto you. And Lord, open your word to us. Open our mind. Open our hearts that we might receive from you. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It, it is something how often if you read the paper, how often you will find from Ann Landers. She's the counselor of society in a way, I guess. But how often she writes on this subject. It's amazing. But in this one, a recent article, Declaration of Love Makes Divorcee Uncomfortable. Remember what I shared with you last week? One of the hardest things to do is to explain what? Love. To explain love. I am a recent divorcee who has started dating again. I have been seeing this guy also divorced for a few months. Too quick for him. And he recently told me he loves me. There's definitely a mutual attraction, but I'm not ready for love again, which we've discussed in great detail. When I asked him why he loves me, he can't answer. His usual reply is something along this line of, I just do. I can't help but think maybe he doesn't really love me if he can't explain why. Is our relationship moving too fast? New to this. When people often find themselves in divorce, they feel somewhat empty and are looking for fulfillment. And that fulfillment sometimes can be difficult to even find or discover. But God set forth divorce to set man free and to be a protection of the woman. To set man free because man was heading towards a total disaster without it. I hope I can explain some of that as we venture a little further in this. And for the woman, a protection. As I started exploring this, it really wasn't until the 1920s that the United States started dealing with divorces. Not until 1920. Before then, a man could be married in one state, leave that state, go to another state, and remarry. A divorce is basically beneficial to a man, not to a woman. In the beginning here with the United States, divorce was very, very, very rare. And legislation handled the divorce. As divorces began to pick up, the legislation turned it over to the judicial. 
the judicial started dealing with it in the mid-1800s. In most places, divorce was the very last thing that would be granted. And it was basically, again, granted for the safety of the woman. From biblical times all the way up to modern times. Even in the United States at first, a woman could be abused, beaten, and even killed. In the United States, there was such a rule as don't make it a public scene. And what it was as that rule, by not making it a public scene, you don't beat your wife in public, you do it at home. A woman, even in the United States, until the early 1900s, any of her property that was hers, once she married, became the man's. And if a divorce, she lost all property. So let's say a woman married a man who came into a relationship and she had maybe a small fortune left to her by her father. Once she got married, that fortune became her husband's. If there was a divorce, she left penniless. She didn't receive anything. I'm saying all this because as we look into it, oftentimes we quote verses not understanding. Here's a God that knows the beginning and the end of things. Here's a God that understands the evil working of man's heart. Here's a God who says, for the hardness of your hearts, I granted this of the way in which a woman would be treated. He grants it. Now, in saying that, there are some men who have also been treated very badly. (laughs) But nowhere near to what women have been treated. Nowhere near. Divorce in these times was practiced exclusively for the men's benefit. They were disloyal to their wives and ignored the wedding vows they had made before God, thus corrupting his purpose for them to rear godly children. Even the famous historian Josephus writes about himself and states after his third child he gave his wife a bill of divorce. And yet many of us quote from Josephus we read his history and yet after his wife had had three children for him he left her. If we study in the, about the Pharisees, 
it is said that the Pharisees should have one wife, but what often is not mentioned is that many of them also divorced their wives. And during those silent years of God, man somewhat did whatever he wanted to do. Oftentimes we miss the things that caused divorce to take place. In a post-exile Judaism, it was God's holiness and sanctity that received special emphasis. It was his separateness from all that is low and base and his transcendent elevation above things that were senseless. That seemed particularly to characterize him in contrast with the gods of the heathens. It was under the influence of this concept that really God set up what he called the law. And the development of the Levitical law and all its ceremony and rituals. A law which gave clearest utterance to the nation of Israel. In this preference, be ye holy as I am holy. To be ye holy as I am holy. The results was to lose sight though, and this is what men did, they lost sight of God's law. And whenever God's law is imposed on man that man cannot fulfill, there's failure. There's failure. Life under the pressure of the consent and anxious care required to maintain a holy life can be very difficult. But whenever there's failure in any area of our life, do we practice as a body of believers what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 tells us? Let's run over to it. Galatians chapter 6. No matter where the failure might be, do we practice what we are instructed to do in this area. And that's one of the difficulties of the church. Is to practice this. He says brother. If someone is caught in a sin. You who are spiritual. Should what? Restore. Do we practice restoring people. Who have gone through a divorce. Do we practice getting them back up to speed in their work for the Lord? Do we set it in such a way that they don't feel like they're always being kicked or knocked down because of what has taken place in their life? 
But are we really about restoration and restoring? And that's one of the areas that we really have to work on. The ability to restore. After a great fall. After a great fall. The meaning of divorce is to lose. Release. It is that area of life that where one person has come to a place that they're no longer willing to accept or agree with someone else that's in their life. You go ahead and put me on screen. Is there? And the whole process is that there has to be two people willing to submit to God's rule. Can't be one. Has to be two. Now, follow with me in thought for a moment. Because, see, God's perfect ideal doesn't change because of my failure. God's perfect ideal does not change because of my failure. In other words, simply this here. God doesn't have plan B in marriage. It's strictly plan A. Now, if I falter or fail in plan A, do the rules all change? Just because I go out and buy a new car, does the rule change about the red light, green light, stop sign, divided rows, the speed? Just because I got a new car, it doesn't change the rules. In the second marriage, third marriage, whatever it might be, and many Americans are into their third and fourth marriage today, the rules don't change. It's the same rules that were in the first marriage that is going to be practiced in the second and third marriage. Because God's not going to change His plan just for us. He's not going to do that. He's still going to expect us, the woman, to carry out her role, submit to her husband, the husband to love his wife as Christ loveth the church. He's expecting the same thing. All that a divorce says is simply this. Somebody faltered. Somebody dropped the ball. Somebody was not going to walk in the manner that God wanted. Or both of us may not have walked in the manner that God desired. Now the way man fixed that in 1970, the United States went to this thing that said no fault divorce. So, where prior to no fault, there always had to be a guilty party. 
And the majority of the divorces in the United States took place over the issue of adultery. Which was, in many people's case, a biblical right to divorce them. But in 1970, when the right for no fault, all you had to say was, we're not compatible, we no longer love each other, we want a divorce, that was it. No fault. Nobody had to be proven guilty over anything. One of the things that really hurt America, I think now, as they look back, in the 1920s, legislation passed a law that did what they call trial marriage. Where you could try marriage for a little while, not having to worry about any responsibilities if you walked away from each other. So, for the first time in America, you got the legal system saying you may want to try this first to see if it works. And out of that, we came out with that common law living later on. But never did it ever hit my mind that, boy, who started this? And it was basically government that started it because more divorces were taking place And the government simply came up and said, well, maybe we need to try this before there's a real commitment that would take place. Well, once they got started, they couldn't call it off. And something else sparked up in the early 1920s. The church started doing what they called marital counseling. Because before, the church didn't see real, any real need for it. We're going to see something in Scripture here also. Let me just preface it somewhat now. In the early stages of divorce, in Old Testament and in New Testament, If there was a divorce, where was the only place the woman had to go? Where, where's the only place she had to go? Back home. And you'll find that somewhat a biblical position. Because in God's sight, the woman always is to have a what? A covering. Well, she only had two who could give her a covering. It was either her father or her husband. That was it. So in most of these situations, once she was set free, the only place she really had to go was back home. The other reason I believe God gives this bill of divorce, and I will argue this from silence, but I think history shows it. In 
Ann's my sister. And she got five brothers. But Larry mistreat her. And one day we find Ann with a bloody nose, black eye, busted ribs. What do you think the five brothers might do? Yes. Yes. So when God says he hates divorce, it's because he's not just looking at the divorce. He's looking at all the complications that come about because of divorce. All the pain, all the hurt, and all the danger that it may put other individuals in. And that whole process just begins to work in many different ways. We have to understand God doesn't change his ultimate purpose. Because human failure. There is nothing to take the place of marriage. If a man and a woman care for each other deeply and want to be with each other, there's nothing that takes the place of marriage. Even if they've been married before, divorce, find new mates or new people they want to be with, nothing takes the place of marriage. Go with me, if you would, please, to John, St. John, chapter 4. St. John, chapter 4. I've overlooked this so many times. And I think a lot of others, because I don't find it too often of anybody else really writing about it. Go with me in verse 16. And this is the woman at the well. John chapter 4 and verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Okay, go get your husband and come back. I like to meet this dude. I like to meet, meet this guy. Go get him and come back. And she says in 17, I have no husband. Now, not knowing who Jesus really is, she didn't try to fake it. She didn't try to get around it. She didn't try to lie about it. Nor did she say to him, it's none of your business. (laughs) She says, I have no husband. Now, I want you to recognize what she says. It's not that she's not with a man. Because the scripture allows us to know she's with a man. 
But she understood the difference between being married to a man and being with a man. Boy, for years it kind of like overlooked that. You know, because I'm so intense on here's Jesus witnessing to a Samaritan woman and using it more as the witness man than not looking at the other pieces. And this woman understands that difference. That she's not married. She's not legally bound to anybody. But yet she's with the man. And he goes on, he says, She says, I have no husband, she replied. When you, when you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands. Now, Jesus understands she's had five husbands. The striking thing about this is this. He does not go into the area of the lecturing about the sin of divorce. He doesn't even touch on it. He just says, you've had five husbands. Wouldn't that be the great time now to correct her? Wouldn't that be a great launching pad for about divorce and so forth? Nor does he instruct her or say anything to her that you're living in adultery. And boy, as I studied that part a little more in Mark and so forth, not comes out about that. Because, see, when God gave the bill of divorce, He never mentioned in that bill of divorce that if the woman remarries, she lives in adultery. Never says that in the Old Testament. We find it added in later. But here she is, an excellent opportunity to to jump into this subject, and Jesus says, nothing. 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 And I think there's a reason for that. And the reason is simply this. You can jump into divorce and everything else and all the other little areas that may you might be able to jump into. But if you miss the main thing, her right relationship with him, all that other stuff means nothing. If you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, jumping on you about divorce, how many people you're living with, all the other stuff, really means nothing because the starting point has to be with Jesus. And that's even with Christians. When they start faltering and start dabbling into this and into that, what it is saying is this, my relationship with Jesus is not where it should be. But when I put my relationship right with Jesus, all this other stuff gets straightened out also. Why do people 
have divorces, why do they go through it? Because the thing that takes place in life is simply this here. The hardest thing is for two people to live together. Two people learning to agree with, with each other. For how can two walk together unless they what? Agree. And marriage, we'll get into more as we get into family. I want to get through this before we get into family. But marriage symbolizes the Godhead. Family mirrors the Godhead. Family mirrors the cooperation of the working together of the Godhead and how it functions. It does that. The divorce was granted because of hardness of heart. Because men were not willing to be obedient unto God. And divorce favored men until about 1920 in America. If you look at the issue of children and understand laws did not begin to apply to the children until the 80s until the 80s now the shameful part of that is this is when a man went through a divorce he can forget that family and go off and start what? Yeah. And remember the laws even in the state. If you were to move from Ohio to Indiana or, or somewhere else, Ohio couldn't touch you. Even for child support. It couldn't touch you. But with the Children's Act of 1984, the issue came around, yeah, you're going to take care of these children no matter where you are. Okay. And another important part really became very instrumental. A lot of fathers would leave and not take care of their children, and some didn't care if they ever saw their child what? Again in life. But there were those who wanted their children. And they would pick their children up <laughs> and flee that state. <laughs> So they had to write laws about whoever the court awards the custody of those children to. That's where that child has to stay. And you could not pick your children up and run to another state and live differently. Big difference. Big difference. Because in man's mind, children always were left with who? With the mother. Period. Whether there was support, no support. Just left them. Could care less if they lived in the slums, the ghetto, whatever you want to call it, as long as he was living good. Amen. 
Now, again, women were abused in many different ways. Not just physically, but also mentally. If you go back to grandma's advice, grandma's advice was go home, shut your mouth, do the cooking, (laughs) and stay out of his way. (laughs) Stay out of his way. If they were kicked out of their home, nowhere to go. That's one of the reasons why you find and you'll find women's shelters popping up. Because women didn't have anywhere to go, especially if they were out of state. Or no money to get home. Until family raised money, brought them home if they were in some other state. Or found out about their situation. Statistically, we have no real records of it. We know it happened. Many wives were murdered in order that the husband might be free. And remember, in court, if you got beat as the wife, you could not give testimony against your husband in court that he beat you. It was not acceptable in court. And again, the rule for man was not to make a public scene. As long as he did it behind closed doors in his home, he was always safe. Go to Malachi 2, 10 through 16. Because in Malachi, we begin to hear this thing about God that he hates divorce. Now, if we start from Genesis with marriage all the way up to Malachi, and Malachi does go back to also preference some of Ezra's time and so forth. Here's this long period before God speaks up and says, I hate it. I hate it. And he says, starting in verse 10, Have we not all one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking faith with one another? We profane the covenant or the vows that we take or the covenant we entered into with God. Why do we profane that? Don't husband and wife serve who? The same God? Judah has broken faith, a detestable thing, and have been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying the daughters of foreign what? Foreign gods. Now, when something started looking good to you, you leave the other and go to it. Now understand, men are excited by what they see. The Israelite woman dressed modestly and in a certain manner. Them heathenistic women 
they didn't have to follow the rules. And they dressed a little differently. Which excited the men. And he says, You begin to marry the daughters of foreign gods. As for man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob. Even though he brings offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You're doing one thing, worshiping, praising, but yet you're not following through with obedience to what God's asked you to do in this thing called the marriage. And you're willing about it. You heard about it. And you ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and who? Your wife. Look at that picture. God is watching the husband, and he's watching who? The wife. And he's bearing witness to this relationship. How you are treating each other. How you're loving each other. How you're caring for each other. Or how you're abusing each other. How you're taking advantage of each other. What your mouth says to each other. He says, he's bearing witness to all of this. He goes on, just a little bit further, he says, between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh? We're going to talk about that over in Matthew 19 a little bit. Haven't the Lord made them one in flesh? And spirit? And why one? Because he was seeking godly what? Godly offsprings. That's just say a mouthful right there. That in the Christian home, we're raising up young people who will do what? Fear the Lord. Because God's seeking godly offsprings. That in the Christian home, there should be that standard that we're upholding the things of the Lord. That we're saying the same thing that Joshua said. For me and my house, we're going to do what? Serve the Lord. There's no democratic vote here about this thing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to serve the Lord. Because God's looking for godly offsprings. So he warns us, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. Then listen to what he says. I hate divorce. Why? It breaks faith with the wife of your youth. 
it breaks faith with the one that you have entered into a covenant with. And he says, I hate divorce. I hate a man's covering himself with what? Violence. If I don't get the divorce, boy, go knock her out. If I don't get this, and he covers himself with violence because of the hardness of his heart. And then he wants to make it look like it's right because he has a bill of divorce. In New Testament time, when they divorced and used what Moses had given as a bill of divorce, there was also a great celebration that took place afterwards. So now we party because I'm free. I'm party because I don't have no more responsibility. It's almost about what takes place a lot of time in men's lives today. And that whole process just eats at us. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break. Hey, don't do it. Now, turn with me to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus 21. Just want to paint this picture just a little bit more if I can. It says, I'm going I'm to pick up in verse 9. And let's run on down a little bit. 17. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. Now, Married, but there's three things that the man is obligated to do here. Is to make sure she's what? She's fed. Make sure she has clothing. Make sure she has her marital rights. In other words, he cannot deny her of the marriage bed. Or it makes her run out and be a what? An adulteress. Or a prostitute. Or something worse. And he goes on, he says, If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free. Now catch this little thing here. Because this is what the law of the land followed for many, many years. Without any payment of money. Set her free. But she don't get a dime. Even if it was her money. From the beginning. From her inheritance. She can't take a dime of it with her. Set her free. 
but with no money. And, and that whole process is something that begins to take place that we need to understand that she is to be set free. Deuteronomy 21. Go over to it. Deuteronomy 21. Thirteen and fourteen. And we get to it. Uh, better come on back down. Let's go to verse ten so we can get a clear picture of it. When you go to war against your enemies and the Lord your God delivers them into your hands and you take captive. If you notice among the captives a beautiful woman and are attracted to her, you may take her as your wife. Bring her into your home and have her slave her head, have her shave her head, trim her nails and put aside the clothes she was wearing when captive. After she has lived in your house and mourned her father and mother for a full month for the separation part that's taking place, then you may go to her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. If you are not pleased with her, if you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not, catch this, sell her. You cannot take the wife to profiteer off of by selling her as a slave, as a way of getting rid of her. Again, who is God protecting? The woman. If you are not pleased with her, let her go wherever she wishes. You must not sell her or treat her as a slave since you have dishonored her. Now, Deuteronomy 24.1. There's a couple pages over. And, and the key word here as you go through here is this thing of a man losing favor or pleasure or delight in a wife. In other words, this thing has become old. Uh, it's time for a change. It's time to look for somebody different. So he says in 24.1, If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, and give it to her, and sends her from where? Where is she going? Yeah. And, and see, in those days, I, I want you to catch a good picture of this. In those days, and all the way up through, if you got sent home, what might be the first question that was asked you? What did you do? What did you do wrong? 
Okay. And the issue is, a lot of women grew up with the thing sometime, I deserve to get a beating. Um, trying to think of one of John Wayne's movies Elaine and I like to watch. He's an Irishman. He's an ex-boxer and so forth. One of his best movies, but I can't think of the name of it right now. But on the way back from the railroad tracks, he go get his wife because she was going to leave him. He go get his wife and there he's dragging her through the fields back to her brother to get her diary. But this older woman runs up with a stick and says, Beat the young lady. It will do her good. Now, that movie wouldn't fly too well today. You know. Beat the young lady. It would do her good. You know. And remember in color purple? When the advice was given? Beat her. Harpo wish he never tried that advice. <laughs> you know. But what we forget when we talk about divorce sometimes is what the other person may be going through. Yes, as a pastor, I hate divorce. But as one author says, Sometimes it's necessary. And in that, can I take the position of restoring? Of restoring. And he says, here, boy, give the woman a bill of divorce, write it out for her, and let her go. Now, let's go to Matthew 19 for a little bit. And we're going to close out with Matthew 19, so we'll somewhere camp there. In this, I want you to take note of something. The Pharisees are not arguing their position from the beginning. They're arguing their position from where? From Moses, the lawgiver. They do not argue their position from the beginning. And Jesus makes that correction then. Because they're arguing from the position of what Moses allowed them to do. Now, all the scriptures that we read so far, most of them never indicate anything about the hardness of what? Yeah. But Jesus brings that in. Jesus takes them back to the beginning, and Jesus tells them the real reason why. And oftentimes in divorce, we have to look if possible. For the real reason why. What is the real reason for this divorce? Do you tell a woman who's had a gun put to her head? You can't file for divorce? 
Elaine and I found a woman, and I mean, she wasn't a small woman. And we can't figure out today how she got herself underneath the sink, squeezed in between the sink cupboards, hiding from her husband at a neighbor's house until we were able to get there. How she got under there, we couldn't imagine. No way in the world could she have fit in there, but somehow she got in there. Just that scared. What do you do when somebody plays Russian roulette with you? What do you do when every six, seven months you're in the hospital with a broken bone or or being burnt or something? And and the issue is this. Is that what God intended? Is that what God intended? How many affairs are you supposed to go through? One. Okay, I forget one. But when it gets three, four, and five, how do you handle that? How do you handle even one time your husband going out and then coming back and giving you herpes or some disease or something? How do you handle that up here? How do you handle verbal abuse? What does it do to constantly be belittled and berated and talked about in a derogatory manner? What does it do to you to constantly, someone who says they love you is constantly calling you a bee or, or, or something worse or uh, constantly cussing at you? What, what do you do? See, when you see a woman flinch, it's for a good reason. When her husbands take a certain posture out in public, and she she's she already know what to expect, even though he held back, her reaction says something. And how do we handle that? How do we handle it with men who go to work every day faithfully? But while they're at work, their wife is with a best friend or, or cheating. See, that happened with my oldest brother. Going to Starbling every day. Got sent home early because the machines broke down. Called his wife and, and a friend. And we could never understand why Coy wouldn't want to pay child support. He'd go to jail before he paid child support. They got to know him so well downtown, the moment he hit downtown, he got a trustee suit on, and he'd be at home having breakfast with my mom driving a chef car because he's supposed to be washing it. That's how well known he was down there. And that whole process of what it did to him mentally. 
the anger. Because, see, you either are going to start afresh, start anew, or you're going to let that thing destroy you. There's not a lot of options with divorce. A death is much better than a divorce. Because a death finalizes it. It's over with. But a divorce. The kids always want to see dad come over. The kids want to do this. The kids want to do that. And, and, and the kids don't catch it yet. What may have happened to you? The kids may not catch it yet. What mom really did out here. And the worst thing a parent can do. Is dump it into the life of a child. Because the child can't understand it yet. Only thing the child knows, that's my mom, <laughs> that's my dad. And the thinking is, I want to think the best of them. The best of them. And in that 19, the Pharisees come in that verse 3, and they're going to challenge Jesus about this area of divorce. Hoping to entrap him. And in this, sometimes we take it too dogmatic without doing some real good research and understanding behind it. He says, Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife from any and every reason? Does a man have that kind of freedom? Now, in that question itself, there is no thought about being, having any form of justice for the woman or the man. Especially for the woman. Does the man have a right to divorce his wife for any reason? Ozzy Bonato told Elaine, because Elaine kind of tossed me a biscuit over on my plate, and Ozzy Bonato told no, no, Elaine, no, no. You put biscuit on plate. You come around to Gus, and you bow and give. Elaine told Ozzy, mm, well, She didn't say anything bad, just that, boy, she told Ozzy, if you want to eat today, you better shut up. (laughs) And he was from Nigeria, but that's how he was raised. He never fed himself until he was 16 years old. Because of his dad's position in the tribe. And he told Elaine, you don't... That's disrespectful. Toss Gus a biscuit. You put on plate and you... Well, if I wait for Elaine Bow, I would never eat. (laughs) And there was no justice in their statement that they were asking. There was no fairness in that. There was no caring even about the other person. For they're only inquiring... Based on who? The man. And what pleased the man. And what the man wanted. 
That's all that question is about. Can a man do this? With no consequences. With a clear mind. No sense of being guilty no matter what he's doing. Or what she's done. Some Pharisees came to him, tested him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, you're leaving mom and dad. And sometimes that's hard for people to separate. But there's a reason. Even though biblically we know, oftentimes when somebody got married, they went back and lived with who? The male's father. In most cases. They went back because why? The children was the heir. And that was like a little fortress. If I had nine or ten sons. And then their children too as they grow up. I had my own little army. There was a reason behind that. That's why the scripture says. Blessed man whose quiver is full. Because he got his own little protection. His own little army. And so forth. So he did go back home. But he should have his own little private hut or area. Why? He's becoming, in a sense, the priest of his own family now. With no interference from who? Father and mother over here. And God meant for that to happen, that it would be a total separation from father and mother. Not meaning that, boy, you don't help them when help is needed. But your first loyalty now is to who? Wife and children. This is your home. And the same thing applied to you that applied to your father. The man who doesn't take care of his own home is worse than what? An infidel. You have your home. You gotta set your rule. You gotta set your principle. You gotta set your standards. You gotta work this thing out between you and who? Hey, he said, boy, they're totally separated. Because you're establishing your home just like your father established his home. And without no interference from either one. And he, Goes on and he says a little further. They no longer, they no longer two but one. Let me bring this down here for a moment because we're going to get into this little sticky area. Two, no longer one. But Christ is going to say something. That puts one thing in opposition to the other. And he says, So they are no longer two but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Let man not separate. In that, Christ is also submitting. It can be separated. It can be separated. That it can be separated. Though God has joined it together. This is the work of what God does. The opposition to that is this. Man tries to separate it. And it can then be separated. One opposes the other. That God's will is that it would not be separated. Man on this side separate or go against God's will. And he says, let man not separate him. Then in seven comes the question again. Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. It, it, it wasn't for a reason to separate from her. It wasn't for a reason of letting her go. I'm displeased with her. I don't like the way she cooked. I don't like the way she cleaned my house. I don't like the way she uh, uh, cleaned my clothes, put them out. Uh, I, I, I don't like this. I found something else I like a little better. Any reason. And then we read this. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your hearts were what? Yeah. Yeah. Out of the heart comes murder. Out of the heart comes these things that are evil and vile. I hate divorce. It's evil. But boy, it could even be worse. And God never meant for the woman or the man to be hurt in a marriage or relationship. He meant for you to have life to the fullest, to the abundance. And no law that God gives, none of God's word is out to hurt man. It's always meant for man's good. But here again what we see is God's suffering and tolerance with fallen man. And what we see is a God who loves his creation and is working with his creation in this area of free will. Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your hearts were hardened. But it was not this way from when? From the beginning. So in the beginning, we don't hear nothing about a divorce. In the beginning. I tell you. Anyone who divorces his wife. 
except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman, commits adultery. And we're going to have to deal with that. Because some other parts of Scripture don't add that part. Nor do we hear it where at over in the Old Testament. And now comes an important question. Is divorce an unforgivable sin? If it is, then we've attached another unforgivable sin to Scripture that is not mentioned. Blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is the only sin that we read about that is what? Unforgivable. This is the area that many people in divorce are not willing to admit or follow through. And I got to be careful here. Self-righteousness can mislead us. Because I may have a right to do something does not mean that it's always righteous. And in this thing called divorce is not something I planned. It's not something deliberate, but it's something that's been given much thought and much prayer. But I have to come to a point to recognize this is not God's will. For this marriage. Father. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. And is asking for the forgiveness. In the sense of breaking God's law. Lord, forgive me. And when God forgives, he sends a refreshing. When God forgives, it's like starting all over again. God hates divorce. I need to agree with that with God. But God would not have you stay in something, man or woman, where your life is threatened. God won't have you to stay in something where you are totally, totally abused mentally and physically. And that's hard because as church, we don't want to deal with that. But we have to be realistic with the abuse sometimes that's going on. It's hard to say to a mother who knows that a father is sleeping with a daughter. What do you say in that situation? How does the church deal with incest? See, we got difficult things to deal with, but we want to put a very easy band-aid over it.
listen to what the men say. And then I'm done. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now listen to verse 10. Recognizing most of the ones who were able to get a divorce were men. Now, I believe this is in uh, Matthew here also. In Mark, he brings and he adds, if the woman seeks the divorce, and it's only in Mark. Okay, because Mark is writing to the who? The Romans. By this time, Jesus has had disciples of the Romans. Under Roman law, not under Jewish law, but under Roman law, the woman could file for divorce. And one of the things that the woman did to show how many times she's been married is by the number of rings that she had on her fingers. And she could file for divorce under Roman law, but under Jewish law, the woman could not. And what was so important in that day was your identity with your tribal or with your group of people. If you were a Roman citizen, you were a Roman citizen, you had certain rights that others did not have. If you were Jewish, you had certain rights as Jewish individuals in the temple and under that thing of Israel, under that covenant that others did not have. But look how the men reply to this. In verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to what? Yeah. Boy, you mean to tell me if I can't get out this thing when I'm ready to get out of it for any little reason? It's better not to marry. <laughs> if I just can't walk away from this thing and give her a writ of divorce and tell her goodbye and keep all my possessions, it's better for me not to marry. See, it's better for me not to marry if I got to give away half my goods or half of my wealth or half of this. She didn't go to work for it <laughs> and went to work every day. <laughs> But their conclusion, after hearing Jesus, it's, it might be better that I don't even marry. I don't get stuck in this situation. I don't get into these problems. Maybe it's better not to marry. Now, I want you to hear the difference between man's advice and God's. God said in the very beginning, Adam, it's not good for you to be what? And what is man saying? <laughs> Maybe it's better I don't get into this situation. And I hope you will adhere to the counsel of God over the counsel of man. Because the greatest thing God has given to man is marriage. 